If I may tonight, I'm going to be uh, quite brief. I just want to share with you a little bit of my heart, what's been going around in my mind last few weeks. I shared with the teenagers a while ago, and it's something that the Lord has continually brought to my mind, and I hope it's a blessing. I hope it's an encouragement to you. A question that's been asked many times to me, and I'm sure to you, especially in ministry and counseling and witnessing, is what does it mean to be a Christian? You know, if someone were to ask you on the side of the street, what would you say? There's a lot of answers and a lot of correct ones you could give. You could say, well, I'm a Christian because what that means is I know Jesus Christ. I trust him as my Savior. I belong to him. In fact, that term, Christian, is a political term. In Antioch, it was meaning they belonged to the party of Christ. It was a sense of ownership and discipleship. You could say, I'm a Christian because I believe God's word. I believe the Bible. And that's true as well. But there is one distinction that I believe that is the greatest of all. And I love how the Apostle Paul always frames it in his letters, especially to the Philippians. Look with me in chapter 1 and verse 1 of Philippians. It says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe when someone asks, what does it mean to be a Christian, I think the greatest thing that you could possibly say is to be a Christian is simply to have God as your father. And if you think about it, that is the very heart and soul of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, father and son. And it's that glorious difference between all other man-made philosophies and religions, this eternal eternal life-changing truth that God is indeed a father. And listen, I know there are many wonderful texts that I could reference and illustrate this truth, but I chose this one for a reason. You have to understand the context of where and why this letter was written. You have to understand just how significant this revelation of God was to both Jew and especially Gentile alike. This was crazy talk, paradigm shifting to the mind of a Gentile. This city, Philippi, had a very small Jewish presence, basically non-existent. There wasn't even a synagogue there. This was a Roman city through and through. It sat on a Macedonian hill and overlooked the Mediterranean Sea. It was stacked and packed. The streets were narrow. It was high. It was lofty. And it was ancient. It was fortified and created by someone named King Philip II, hence Philippians. Hence, Philippi and the Philippians. If you don't know who that is, it's okay, don't worry. He had a very famous dad. His name was Alexander the Great. Talk about having a famous father, right? And under that city, it was constantly barraged by paganism. But yes, by art and culture and theater. And it was all dressed up very beautifully and pretty. But the pagan gods, the Zeus worship that they had for generations were still 
demons. And in the Grecian mind, that's all they ever knew. And the reason why Philippi was so famous is right outside the plains of that city was where a man named Octavian, who's that? Defeated a man named Brutus, who, if you remember him, a tu Brute, betrayed Julius Caesar. And on the plains of Philippi, the man Octavian became Caesar Augustus. It was on the plains of Philippi that the Roman Republic would breathe its last breath. And it officially became the empire dedicated to the god emperor Augustus. So, in an act of humility, not, he made Philippi a crowning jewel of his conquest. The city could be seen for miles, because again, it was on a hill. In fact, some people surmise when Jesus Christ said, a city on a hill cannot be hid, many people were thinking of the city of Philippi. Because its temples, its monuments could be seen all around this high and lofty hill. So Caesar Augustus made sure that you saw the temples dedicated to his glory, to his radiance and his conquest. And same were the temples of Zeus. And you have to understand something. I'm sorry for the history lesson. Did I lose some of you? Are you already asleep? So I find this stuff fascinating. You may not. But there's a reason for this context. Because you have to understand, to the Grecian mind, when they heard of a god, their god was Zeus, lustful, prideful, hateful, vengeful, selfish, petty, indifferent, carnal, and terrifying. Have you read about Zeus? He's not a nice guy. It's not like the Disney movie, I'm sorry to tell you. And neither was Caesar, who was God to them. They were all pagan self-involved and unloving. There was also a very small Egyptian presence in Philippi. And to the gods of the Egyptians, their god were in crude, simple, basic elements and creatures. Birds and beetles, cats and crocodiles, the sun and the stars, the night and the Nile. It was all earth worship. It was empty. It was lifeless, hopeless, and loveless. Some prescribe to mother worship because people still long for that paternal feeling, but they would choose to goddess worship of all shapes and sizes. In fact, one of the first converts that Paul ever had walking into that city was a woman who's possessed of a demon, and they made sure all those goddess worshipers utilized her as a psychic and a medium to their own nefarious ends until she was released by the power of God. And to the Jews... You know, they knew the one true God, but even to them, their knowledge was limited. God was revealed to them as many things. He was Elohim, the creator, breath of life. He was Jehovah, the Lord, the one true God, the righteous judge of all the earth, the giver of the law. But then a single man came into our world and claimed and was the son of God and revealed to people that indeed that God is a father. It's a revolutionary thought. This doctrine has always been under attack, and still today, no other religion or system of faith has the audacity to claim that they have God as their heavenly father. You know, such a boast would be, it would be too high, too lofty, too wonderful for them to even conceive. And a big part of that is because they long 
to have that kind of loving relationship, but they just don't think such a thing is possible. It is not possible for an all-powerful deity to also be all-loving and good, especially as a dad, as a father. It's incomprehensible to a carnal mind. I'm going to reference a children's show. And some of you are going to instantly groan the moment I mention it, because you've probably heard it a million times, especially some of you who are grandparents. There is an immensely popular children's show named Bluey. Now, see? I heard it. Someone's like, oh, yeah, 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 Bluey, yeah. It's cute. It's very cute. They're all dogs, but they have jobs. Just, it's a kid's show, right? Relax. Work with me. But there's a dad on the show. His name is Bandit. He's an archaeologist because he loves to dig up bones. You get it? Because he's a dog. I don't write this stuff. It's, I don't know if it's genius or terrible, but it's adorable. But this show is now starting to become problematic in the circles of our society. In fact, the New York Post made a hit piece on the TV show Bluey, the most innocent show that Disney's ever produced. Why? The headline read, The Impossible Father of Bluey. And this person, this writer, surmised that this kind of portrayal of a loving dad who is tired when he comes home from work, but he plays with his girls, he invests in his wife, he invests in his family, and he's sacrificial. This writer said that kind of father does not exist. At all? Of all the fathers in the world? They said this dad is literally impossible and doesn't exist, and children shouldn't be subjected to it. And that just cascaded into this like hit piece against poor Bluey. It's just a little dog. A children's show. But think about that. Imagine someone thinking that. Maybe in this world for some. But it is possible with God. Because his ways are not our ways. There is a perfect father out there. But how does this translate to your life? Not going to be long tonight. Three points in a poem. There's just two simple ways. God wants you to see him as he is, starting with number one, a father's look. A father's look. You see, it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense why God would go through such huge lengths, terrible lengths, to save us if we were just merely his creation. If we were toys or playthings to him, why sacrifice his only begotten son? Why provide something as costly and monumental as his own begotten son and salvation. Isn't that a bit extreme for just a bunch of created creatures? Even the angels wonder at it. And typically the answer would be yes, it is a little extreme. It's a little too far. But that all changes when you start to realize how God sees you. He doesn't look at us like we are commodities. The world does. We are not tools or servants or subjects, or slaves. He looks at us as a loving parent does to his children. And that truth is an amazing thing to consider in our own life, but also when it comes to the nature of witnessing. Because you see, in the cynicism of our world, everything, everyone thinks that all faith is the same, right? All roads lead to heaven. Like I said last time I was up here, like no road has ever worked like that ever in the history of man, but sure. And yet under Christ, who is our Messiah, who is our King and our High Priest, 
Who is the supreme and the final prophet and the final say on the authority of who God is? He revealed the ultimate truth, which is the parental identity of God. But why? So that the world would understand, yes, that he's the Lord and that there's none like him, but also for them to understand that they must be reborn into God's family. That is why John 3.16 is so important. God doesn't want you reborn into his employ or his agenda or his movement or his program. He wants you to be born into his family because he is your father. It's because of this truth that we must be born again into his family that's why Jesus said, you know, marvel not that you must be born again, because it was hard to comprehend. I don't blame Nicodemus. He's like, how can these things be? And the reason why it was so hard for Nicodemus to comprehend, and honestly some Christians to comprehend, is because we do not understand how the Father sees us, how he looks at us. And Jesus Christ came to this earth to save us from our sin. That's true. It's very true. But he also came to change our perspective of God. And not to simply change it for change its sake, but to see him the right way, the correct way. And think about this. When you share God with others, do you lead with the fact that God is a father? No, I, 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 I don't. Why would that be necessary? That's what Christ did. Do you realize every time almost the Savior opened his mouth, he would say, I do the will of him that sent me. I must be about my father's business. He always led with God, the father, because you must be born again in his family. And everything changes when you realize how God sees you. But the point of this text, this, this message tonight, is not just a father's look, but what I really want to get at is number two, a father's love. You know, this is the truth that transforms lives. And certainly the people of this Roman pagan city. What God wants us to understand and to know is he does not live and judge, observe, dictate, forgive, and yes, love, than by anything less than the perfect and pure affection from a devoted parent. Think about it. Just as God doesn't see you in an earthly manner, he also doesn't love you in an earthly manner. He doesn't love you like a master cares for a servant. He doesn't love you like a lord over his faithful subjects. No, no, no. He loves you as a father loves his son or daughter. And he does it perfectly. That one truth can change your life if you let it. It's been challenging me recently. Having a daughter like Haley has been life-changing, as you can imagine both what it means to be a husband and to be a father. And one thing with Haley is she does not understand birthdays or holidays. She can't comprehend it. She doesn't know when it's Christmas. She doesn't know when it's her birthday. She, she doesn't understand. She doesn't have the faculties. But we still try. We decorate. We have happy birthday. We have all this kind of stuff. We sing happy birthday, and she's kind of like, what are you doing? <laughs> why, why, why are you all making a fuss? It's Tuesday. She didn't know what day it is. But even then, we try. And one of the things we do as a tradition every year, my wife and I, is one thing Haley loves. She loves lights. She loves Christmas lights. 
And on every Christmas Eve, we drive my old neighborhood and she looks at lights. I got a picture up here. Just that's her right there. She loves, loves Christmas lights. Now, she doesn't know it's Christmas, but she goes, hmm, I love all this. And you know, she only looks on that side of the car. It drives me crazy. I'm like, Haley, look over here. Look at the left. No, she only looks to the right. It's like, it's like Jesus said, land on the right. I just got to look. <laughs> she only looks on the one side of the car. But it fills our heart with joy because it's something that she can glean and enjoy. And while we were driving down, thank you guys. And while we were driving down Heights, my old neighborhood, Haley looking only on the right side, I tried to get her attention. But then I came down on Forest Avenue. On the right side, a house that I remember very, very well as a kid. Some of you know this story, but Dad and I were close personal friend of a pastor, Mr. Thompson, who suffered a stroke, lost his wife, seemingly all in the same time, and he was completely helpless at home. So I was voluntold by Dad, and I wanted to, to mow his lawn. Problem is, I was terrible at it. Do I look like someone who's good at mowing a lawn? And I had eczema, and I broke out, and I bled, and all that. So it's fine. I wrote sleeves. I had jeans. I was, like, all geared up still. But I did my best. And I did it with vigor. And one day, too much vigor. Because some of you know that one day I was just pushing away the, the lawnmower, and I completely ran over his spigot on the outside of the house, and water just started gushing. I'm 12. So in a 12-year-old's brain, I broke his house. He's going to die because it's flooding. The dog's dead. Mr. Thompson's dead. I'm, dead. I'm going to jail. Uh, I can run away. He can't. He's stuck in the house. So I panic. And what does anyone do? They run to their parents, right? Well, Mom wasn't home. So I went to the person I trust the most, my dad and Mr. Eisenbach, because he was there too. <laughs> And they came to the house, and I was distraught and upset. I broke the house. Sam's like, no, you didn't, Andy. Everything's fine. No, it's not. What do you know? And then he fixes it. Oh, you know a lot. But how do you think Dad treated me in that moment? Did he treat me like an employee? Well, you're fired. Andy, this is coming out of your paycheck. What paycheck? Um, did he treat me as a concerned citizen? I'm calling the cops, you menace. He treated me as a son because he was my dad. He encouraged me. He disquieted me. It's like, it's okay. He instructed me, Andy, don't run over spigots next time. <laughs> Watch where you're going. And he gently comforted me. Why? Because he's my dad. And that's what fathers do. But there may be some of you in this room. I say, well, that's a nice story, Andy, and that's all well and good, but I didn't have a father like that. I know. Some of you in this room had a father that was harsh. Some of you had one that was even cruel. Some of you had fathers who were apathetic or distracted or disinterested or completely forgot about you. You know, God is aware of those things. Did you know what the Heavenly Father said, that can a woman forget her suckling child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? That sounds impossible, that a woman could forget her own child. Yet a few weeks ago, up in New England, a woman left her baby on the highway and just left her there in the middle of the road. 
So yes, it does happen. And so God says, yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Some of you didn't have a father at all. I never knew mine. Your heavenly father knows this. And he said in Psalm 68, I will be a father of the fatherless. Can I encourage you tonight? May I challenge you? These Greeks had a lot of baggage when Paul came into town. Had a lot of baggage understanding a God who is loving and merciful and righteous and forgiving and wise and kind, but they especially had baggage with the idea that God could be a father. I want to be clear tonight. Many people's perception of God is based upon the relationships that they have with their parents here on earth. If your parent was harsh, then you surmise that God is cruel, unbending, unyielding, unfeeling, unforgiving. He's a righteous God. He's an angry God. Because that's what you experienced here on earth. If you had a, God, if you had a father who was apathetic, then God may be a little too busy for you. Your prayers don't matter. He's distant. He's aloof. He's uninterested. Because that's what you experienced here on earth. Even some of you who have had good experiences with your father. Some of you had great parents. But the pitfall we fall into is to understand that no father on earth is perfect. For instance, that heartwarming story I told you, I didn't tell you the beginning, that when my wonderful father first came to the scene and I was crying my eyes out because he's a Blaylock, the first thing he did is laugh at me <laughs> and pretend to tease me because he's a horrible father. No, because no father's perfect and he's a Blaylock and the way we love is to mock and ridicule and point fingers and laugh. All fathers have limitations, even the good ones. You know, that's the burden of the ministry. Sometimes we believe the pastor, evidence tonight, he can get sick. He can get ill. The pastor is not omniscient, nor is he omnipresent. I remember one time years ago, there was someone dying in a hospital, and someone was dying in hospice at home, and they both called dad the same time and said, we need you to go see this person because they may not make it through the night. And dad had to choose one. I mean, he's not omnipresent, right? And both of them went home to be the Lord that night. It was a hard choice. And dad was aware of his limitations. And the family of the one he didn't visit came up and said, oh, pastor, if only you were there. But it reminds me of the words they said to the Lord Jesus. Remember? When Lazarus, oh Lord, if you were only here. Even Jesus Christ had limitations in this life. Don't let the pain or the disappointment of your earthly relationships distort your perspective of your heavenly Father. He loves you. He loves you perfectly. And some of you are going through this life with so much pain and guilt and heavy burdens 
and you don't have to. If only you understood, not that just, just that God loves you, but how he loves you. And you're never going to truly grasp how God loves you unless you understand that he loves you as a perfect father. You have to see him the way that he ordained. You have to see him the way that he commanded. Think about what Jesus said. How are you supposed to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven. How are you supposed to live? I must be about my Father's business. How are you supposed to love? Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. It all revolves around the Father. Why? Because that's how Christ lived. And that's how we are supposed to live. What changed Paul's life and was the focus of his ministry and the wonder of Jew and especially Gentile alike was this amazing revelation of God. If you can truly grasp this reality, you will see your Lord in a way that will change your life and those around you forever. So much pain, so many burdens, so much baggage left at the feet of a father who loves you. And just like these Philippians, just like Paul, and just like Christ, see God tonight the way that he wants you to. You'll never be the same. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. All God's people said. So Heavenly Father, we pray to you tonight to challenge us, to encourage us, to convict us, to see you in the way that your son revealed you. We are not simply servants or slaves. We are not employees in your thrall. We have been adopted into your family. And you are our father. And though many times in our life, things can distort and distract or taint that very view, help us to see you as you truly are. Help us to love you as you have loved us. No matter what we endure in this life, no matter what we suffer, help us to always remember that we have you and you are our Father. Help us to love you like one. Help us to love you not as a disciple. Help us to love you not as a church member. Help us to love you not as a convert. Help us to love you as a child. Keep these things in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.